We're going to bow our heads. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 1. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and show us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be continuing in, in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 30, uh, 57 and going to the end of the chapter, which if you know me, that's a long, long chunk of scripture. So let's read first. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should deliver, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed her great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, that they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto them, There is none in your kindred that, that is named by this name. And they made signs to his father how he should have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around them. And all those sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was on him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, which have been since, have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore unto our father Abraham that, we, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and in and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. So we're continuing the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias. Remember we started met uh, Zacharias in the, temp in the holy place and said that you're going to have a child. He goes, well, how am I going to know that's going to be true? And it said that he was struck dumb. In other words, he wasn't allowed to speak. And we have this whole now, we're now nine months later from that period. We had we had a little interval where Mary gets the message that she's going to be pregnant. She goes to visit Elizabeth. She heads home. And Elizabeth has the birth. Just as God had promised. And this is something we need to be able to understand that God wants us to understand that when he says something, it's going to happen. And this is why scripture is so important for us to be studying because it is where we will learn what does God want from us 
How does he want us to live? What is our expected end? And I am always surprised when how many people will say, I trust God for my future. I expect him to take care of me in, in heaven. And then they won't trust God to take care of them on earth. And it shocks me when people get that way. It's like, okay, you're expecting eternity to be with God. And God is strong enough to keep you for eternity, but you don't have a God who's strong enough to keep you here on earth. And it's kind of a, you know, a dichotomy that I don't understand. You know, and yet I do on one side because we walk by sight. We go, God, I just don't understand how this is going to work, so maybe you, can't, maybe you can't help out, so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it happens. What a hard way to live when we don't have faith in God. God tells us three times in the scriptures, the just shall live by faith. He tells us the three times, I'm sure that he means that we're supposed to walk by faith. Now, does faith mean I don't do anything at all for where I'm going? No, it just means that I walk by faith. I trust God. I do things. And then when God says do something different, even if it makes no sense, I go out and do what he says to do. And this gets hard when we look at how do we live. God says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Do we cast our cares on God or do we worry a lot about what's going on? You know, right now we've just come through an election. Some of us are happy with the election. Some of us are very unhappy with the election. But you know what? We still need to cast all our cares on God no matter which way we are because he is the one who's in charge. And this birth was that proof to Elizabeth and Zacharias that he spoke correctly. Her pregnancy was the proof to Elizabeth that the angel was telling the truth because he said, Elizabeth, your cousin, well advanced in years, is, is pregnant. So she went to see. So now she knows that the angel told her the truth and she knows what to hold on to. When, when I was going through this, I'm looking at how many promises of God there were in the Bible. And I didn't count them all, but somebody wrote that there were 549 prophecies of the Messiah. Just of the Messiah. Many of them were fulfilled on his first coming with his birth, burial, and resurrection were fulfilled already. We still have some yet to come. But because the accuracy of the Bible was so clear, we can know that what's coming, we can put our faith in. Now, when's, he, when's that second coming? I'm going to say just as Jesus did soon. Now, how soon is soon? I don't know. I think we're a lot. The only thing I do know for sure, we are a lot closer today than we were 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. Now, soon in God's mind is a lot different than our, our soon. But you know what? He's coming back. Quite likely in our lifetime with everything that's going on, but may not be. We need to live as if he's coming and still put hope in the fact that he is coming. He is coming back. And so we see this birth, answer of God's decision. Now, one of the things that happens when God tells almost always results in controversy with the world. The naming of John is going to be one of those controversies because they were told that the child's name was to be John. Now, it's kind of funny to us, but they're going to wait eight days before they name a child. The child is named at the time of, circumc of circumcision. Circumcision was given to the Jewish people in Genesis 11:12 when 
God said, this is the sign of our covenant to Abraham. On the eighth day, you will circumcise all, all, your, male, all your males. This was refer, re, reinforced in Leviticus chapter 12, where God gave it a con, you know, confirmation that on the eighth day, you will circumcise your children. So the Jews, ever since, on the eighth day, will circumcise their male children. And at that time, they give them names. Uh, John and Elizabeth were there. And it's kind of an interesting thing because if you note in the scriptures, it says, uh, verse 58, And her neighbors and her cousins heard how they, and they showed great mercy, and they rejoiced. And it came to pass on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the children of the child, and they called his name Zacharias. So this is something that's kind of interesting to be the mother who always named the child in the Old Testament. And it seems like the neighbors were trying to name this one. And they were naming him on the custom. It was the custom of the Jewish people in Jesus' day that the child would be named after some near relative. Often it was the grandfather. But Zacharias is, and Elizabeth, if you remember, are well stricken in years, is what it said at the beginning of this. It doesn't really tell us how old they are. So it's quite possible that the grandparents have passed away, so they're naming him after the oldest living relative that he has available. And they think they're doing a great thing, uh, naming him this way. And Elizabeth immediately stands up and says, no, that's not his name. His name's going to be John. And this is to them is something that just doesn't make a lot of sense. They're going, there's nobody named John in your, fam in your family. So this is a controversy brewing. And remember, the rights of the woman at that time were non-existent. So her saying his name is going to be John is like, okay, what, what does dad say? Oh, dad can't speak. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we got a big controversy coming in here. But, you know, just want to point out that when we live the way God tells us to live, it brings controversy around us. And we know this is true. The Bible tells us right and wrong. Our world is getting darker and darker, further and further away from God's word, and puts us more and more at odds with the world. And this is going to be the case. When the Bible says that adultery is a sin, fornication is a sin, homosexuality is a sin, it really doesn't matter what everybody else says. God says it's a sin, and if we're going to hold his truth... We can't say, well, you know what, God, I know, I know that you uh, said this, but you, know, that, that was, you said that a long time ago. You, you, if you were in our day, you would just change your mind. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change his mind. He does not care what we as human beings think. You know, he doesn't even care what we as his children think. He says, I am the master. You are going to do what I say. And this is going to be harder and harder. The darker things get around us, the more we are going to be in controversy as a church. The early church was at controversy with the world every time they turned around, which is why the disciples all paid with their lives except for John. They all died because they dared to say, this is what God says. We, as it gets darker, need to be ready to say, God, if you want me to pay with my life, I'm willing to pay with my life to stand for you. Now, God doesn't need us to stand. He's, he's, he's perfectly happy. He's going to stand on his own. It doesn't matter whether he has people standing or not. 
but we are the light of this world. We are the one the world sees. When there is trials and tribulations, we are the one that gets to stand up and say, I am going to stand for God, whether it costs me my life or not. And this is something that Mary is, Mary, Elizabeth is in the process of. His name will be John. And the controversy, it says, and I kind of look at this, and it says, they made signs to the Father. Now, we know that he was struck dumb, but apparently he was also struck deaf because they're not able to talk to him. They're, at, they're, they're making signs to him, somehow getting his attention. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he writes out the words, in obedience, his name shall be John. And immediately he is healed and is able to talk. Do you realize that when you are obedient to God, there is great freedom? Now, you may still die. You may still lose a job. But, you know, when we are obedient to God, there is a peace that passes understanding and a freedom that comes along in being obedient. And this is so wonderful that they were ready to obey. So first we have the birth in, in the fulfillment of the prophecy now we have obedience. And I think Zacharias learned his lesson real well when he was disobedient in the, in the holy place. He was waiting until he could be, name him John because the angel said, when he's born, you'll get your, get your speech back. And so he's going, okay, yep, his name's John. <laughs> now, the angel said, I'm, he's, if, and, and the birth of the baby, and he didn't have his voice, so he's going to go, yeah, we're going to make sure he's named John. Do you realize that if you're God and you know what he told you to do, you're going to have nothing but trials and, 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 and uh, conviction. The Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction on you in every moment that you're not in obedience, you're going to be under conviction. So if you're having a hard time and you know that God told you to do something and you're not doing what he told you to do, go start doing what he told you to do. They'd be much more at peace, much more uh, well done in your life than arguing with God. God always wins the argument in the long run. I, I've had that happen in my life. I've already shared with many of you at various times, I argued with God one time for six years. Uh, I'm pretty stubborn. Uh, and God made my life miserable for six years. The sad thing was, is because he was making my life miserable, I'm a father and a husband. I had five other people that I was making their life miserable because of my disobedience. We need to make sure that we're looking and saying, God, I want to obey you. One of the things about being disobedient, being in sin, is it never just affects you. It always will affect others. Now, and this is the, the hard thing about it. People don't realize that what they do affects others. There are people who will commit suicide thinking that, oh, well, I'm just going to end it. I'm going to end my life and everything will be all over and there'll be no more problems. Well, they've got some big problems because they've got to stand before God and hopefully they knew Christ. But even worse than that, they cause problems for anybody who does love them. When they committed it, they don't think of anybody loving them. But, you know, there is nothing that we do that is a victimless sin. Somebody is always going to suffer by our disobedience, not just us. And we need to be able to understand that when Eve sinned, 
and ate that fruit, it says she gave to her husband and he partake of it. And the entire world suffered from their sin. You know, we need to understand consequences. We are, because of the grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we are forgiven for our sins. And as his children, we have heaven because we are clothed in his righteousness, but there is still consequences for sin. Even though I'm forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there are still consequences, and I must pay those consequences. And very rarely does God ever pull back on the consequences. Now, he does. There are times when God will say, nope, your, your repentance is good enough that I'm not going to bring those consequences. But if you read through the Bible, everybody always had consequences. One of the greatest consequences for sin, Moses striking the rock the second time. And God says, because you, I told you to, spoke to uh, speak to the rock and you struck the rock, you will not enter the promised land. And from that point on, every time Moses talks to the people, you read the book of Deuteronomy, and he goes, it's your guys' fault that I'm not going into the promised land. It was his disobedience and his lack of repentance, but he kept blaming the people. Now, granted, he was mad at the people, but he still had no right to be mad because God said, speak. And, you know, the sad thing about us as human beings is we almost always blame somebody else for our disobedience and our problems. Well, you know, and we go all the way back to the very beginning, and Adam says, God, it was the woman that you gave, that you gave me. So he was pointing to both directions. God, it was the woman, and by the way, you gave her to me. If you, had, if you hadn't given her to me, I wouldn't have had this problem in the first place. And Eve, of course, pointed straight to the serpent. But we have been doing the same thing for all of time. Not my fault. If such and such had happened, if this didn't happen, if I wasn't raised this way, if, if I didn't have the friends that I had, if I didn't have the, the spouse that I have, if my parents were just better, if, 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 if. And God is saying, own up to it, confess your faults, and I will cover them. We need to get to the place where we just say, God, I messed up. I sinned. Please forgive me. And if you get to that point, you might just have less consequences because God may pull back the consequences a little bit. Most of the consequences are to make sure that we don't ever do it again. This is what discipline is about. And discipline must be hard enough that makes us think twice about doing it. If you told a millionaire that I'm going to fine you $10 for you if you do something, a millionaire is going to say, okay, big deal. <laughs> now, you tell some child that is only making a dollar a week on an allowance, I'm going to fine you $10, they're going to, and, they, and, and they really think about it, they're not going to do it because that's a whole lot of money to them. God's discipline will be to you what it takes to make you know that you don't want to do it again. If you're stubborn like me, that discipline may be very harsh. You know, and I know I'm not the only one that's stubborn. I've learned. I don't, I don't fight with God as long anymore as I used to. He, he always won. I don't, you know, something about the omnipotent, powerful God that knows everything, he wins. So we see here when Zacharias' mouth was opened 
in obedience, you note what the first thing you did? He praised God. Is that our attitude? When God blesses us, do we remember to give him praise? Is that the first thing on our mind? I'm going to tell you many times it's not the first thing on my mind. I'm all happy that I got it, and I sometimes will forget God. We need to make sure that we're always remembering the good things that happen to us are because God brought it in, and we need to be thankful for God. been talking a lot about how when we pray, do we thank God in prayer? We think about this, you know, we just had our prayer yesterday for the lost. We prayed for one hour. One of the things that amazes me sometimes is because I get into this prayer and I start thanking God for things and then I gotta remember for the last 10, 10, 15 minutes that I gotta be praying for whatever it was we were being called to pray for. But do you realize how fast prayer time goes when you're worshiping God? And prayer and, and praise and thankfulness is part of our prayer or should be part of our prayer. We need to confess our sins before him. Then we need to give him adoration and then giving, and then tell him what we would like. But you know, if you're spending all your time doing those other things, that prayer, asking him what you want should be a very short time. You know, we think about this when, back in the medieval days, when people went to the king to ask requests. Do you realize that when they went, if they, they did not come empty-handed? They gave the king a gift, at least flattering words, but they would give the king a gift, usually something from their garden or some animal or something. They gave the king a gift saying, you know, but it was a thanksgiving. How many of us, when we pray to God, just come to God and say, God, give me, give me, give me, thank you, amen, goodbye? You know, if you had a child doing that to you, every time you saw your kid come to you, give me, give me, give me, give me, you're gonna to get to the place where you don't even wanna see your child. You might even love your child, but just like, oh, here they come again. Wonder what they want this time. And we laugh about that, but you know, many Christians have this attitude toward God. It's just give me. We don't thank him for a new day. His mercies are new every morning. He is there. He's giving us everything. He gives us air. He gives us life. He gives us opportunities to serve him. We need to be lifting him up. And we look at these things that, that Zacharias gave. He gave a testimony of what God is, had been doing. He says, you have sent a Savior and a Redeemer as you have told us. It's an amazing thing that when you look at the prayers of the people, they are almost always for the Jew looking back to the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, you promised us a great nation. You promised that we would be number one in your eyes. You pan-picked us. Now, they took a great pride in that, rightfully so in some ways. We, as Christians, have great pride. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And if we call upon his name, confess that we're a sinner, and ask him to ask for that free gift of an acceptance, he comes in and lives with us and gives us all the blessings of his kingdom. Without that, we're gone. We are going to spend eternity without God. 
Nothing that I do pleases God. It's all Jesus Christ. And here we have this. He goes, you spoke by the holy prophets from the beginning of the world that this Messiah was coming. And it's interesting as he's giving these quotes out there. Genesis 3.15 was the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. Right after the eating of the fruit on the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As soon as they had done that and they had all tried to blame each other, God says, I'm going to send a redeemer that's going to crush the serpent's head and redeem you. What a beautiful thing. God's plan. God always has a plan. And we've said this so many times, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. God the Father, the Son, and Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit got together before they even created the world, said, the world, we're going to create the world. Man's going to sin. Jesus, will you die for them? And he said, yes. And God created the world. Man sinned. He knew that that was going to happen. He knew that it was going to happen. And to redeem us human beings, Jesus came to be a human being, live a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sins so that those who will accept that gift will be God's children. You know, I look at that and I go, God, what kind of deal did you make? Now, you know, I look at it from my side, it's a wonderful deal. I get, I get heaven by accepting Jesus Christ. From God's side, he gets, he got me. <laughs> he gets you. Uh, and I know me and you all know you. <laughs> you know, when you really think about it, you know, from the human perspective, from the sight perspective, God didn't get a very good deal out of this. Now, he obviously sees something we don't. And I don't know what he sees because he's God and I'm not. But he obviously thinks he made a good deal or he wouldn't have done it. I'm just thankful that he made that deal. Because Isaiah tells us all my righteousness is filthy rags and I can't make it, I can't make it to heaven with anything good that I do. I needed Jesus Christ. He's, Jeremiah is preaching this message to them and it's very interesting on this that he gives these out. He says that this child shall be the forerunner. He will announce the Christ. This comes from Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3. That there would be a forerunner to the Messiah. And Zacharias already knows that's what he was told. And now he's telling the people he is going to be the forerunner. He is going to be the announcing he says he will also be the day spring or the morning star. This is another description of Jesus. In Second um, uh, uh, Peter 3, uh, 1.19 and Revelation 2.16, it talks about the morning star, the, the day star. Uh, Job uh, 38.12 talks about the, the day spring. Right, not necessarily messianic, but he's talking about the fact that there is a star that is bringing in the dawn, bringing in. And Jesus Christ came and he said he was the light of the world. He said, I am the light. And this is so wonderful as we look at this. Isaiah 9, 2, Isaiah 60, verse 1, 
all talk about the light. In Isaiah 42.6, it said that the Messiah would be the light to the Gentiles. Now, that's good news for most of us sitting here in this room. I don't know if we have any Jewish people sitting in this room. We are Gentiles, and Jesus is the light to us. And God kept telling them all through Scripture that he was coming for all the world. All of the world. And this is wonderful for us because Jesus said, I am the light. He said, there is no other way to the Father except by me. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins. And we accept that gift and we can go to heaven. And Zacharias is prophesying that the Messiah is just around the corner. You know, we are waiting for the Messiah to return and the rapture to come and the tribulation to come. The Jewish people before Jesus was born was waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. With as much expectation as we do for the second coming, they had the expectation of there is a deliverer coming who's going to bring Israel out of obscurity and make it rule the world. We know that that's still coming. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will return and he will rule this world for 1,000 years in perfect peace from Jerusalem. At the end of that period, Satan will be released to have one last try to tempt the people and then everything will be over. There'll be the great white judgment and a new heaven and new earth will be created and there will be a Jerusalem being ruling out of that one as well. Yeah, and that Jerusalem is a really, really small city, 1,500 1, uh, miles each direction, just a, just a small city. And that's going to be where Jesus rules the new earth. You know, we have a great hope. We have a great future as his children. The question is, are we his children? That takes recognizing that I have sinned. That takes recognizing that I deserve punishment. That takes recognition that Jesus paid that price. And I call out to him and say, I believe those things. Not just an intellectual belief, but I believe with all of my heart and soul, I'm a sinner, deserve punishment, and Jesus died for me. And then we call out to him, Lord, I, I accept Jesus. You are the one that I want. I, I claim that I'm a sinner. I claim that you're my salvation. And he then comes in and dwells with us. And one of the things I hear people go, well, I'm not sure I'm a sinner. Uh, a sinner. Uh, I'm not sure I'm saved. That bothers me when I hear people say that because God says we're saved. Now, does that not mean that Satan is going to make it very hard for you to believe? Oh, there's all kinds of times when he's going to come in and try to tell you you're not saved. This is when it becomes important to say, God, you said so. I believe it. And I've said over and over, if there's anything wrong in the Bible, then we have a book that we can't believe in. I love the fact that every word in this book I can trust and believe in and know is true. And if I don't believe it's true, then I have nothing to believe in. Literally. How then I, if, if anything's wrong in this word, and God is not who he says he is, how can I trust him to take care of me in the future? I love that I can look at him. Does that mean I understand every single word and every single part of the Bible? Well, I've studied it for a long time, and I know most of it, but you know, there's a lot of stuff I look in there and say, God, this is really hard to understand. 
And you go, well, see, that, that tells you that there's something wrong. I go, no, that tells me that this God wrote that book. If I could understand every single word, every single doctrine, every single thing about the Bible, my God is not big enough. My God is not big enough. I become God. If I understood everything, I would be God and not, not God. So God puts in little things like the Trinity. That there's three of them and yet they're one. He puts little things in like predestination and that we have a free will. And we go, God, how can you know and predestine everything and I have a free will? You know what? God's bigger than I am. I'm sure he's got it all figured out and knows exactly how it's both true. And one thing I do know is it's very much that everything that happens to me, just as he promised in Romans 8, 28, that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, in my lifetime, everything so far has worked out for good. Maybe not the good that I would have wanted. Maybe not the good that I would have expected. But now, how could God do that if he doesn't have everything predestined in the future? And the good news is he knows the beginning from the end because he's not structured in time. And he just keeps telling me, even though there's something I don't understand, he says, you, you'll, you'll get to know it in the future. And over the years, given enough time, I look and say, well, you know what? That really was something good. And there's no way that I would have thought that, that whatever that, that is was going to be good, but you get out far enough and you say it was good. We get to heaven and really see what God has done, and we're going to go, wow. You really knew what you were doing, God. You know, have you ever been in that place where you say, God, you really knew what you were doing. You, you put my life together in just the right way. Just the right pieces. Just the right problems in my life so that I would be drawn closer to you. Do you realize that our problems are designed to draw us to God? Let us know that he is in charge and not me. We sang the song, Through It All. I thank God for the mountains. I thank God for the valleys. I thank God for the storms he brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I never knew that he could solve them. God is going to give us problems that only he can solve. The more we fight with him, the harder life gets. The more we learn to just surrender to him, the easier life gets because I'm no longer the one in charge. I am following my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, what does he say? He sets our table in the midst of our enemies. He sets a table. Now, can you imagine that? You're in the middle of a battlefield and, and all of a sudden the army, the, the commander says, okay, we're just going to set up a, a dinner table and we're going to give you a feast here in the middle of the battlefield. How can he do that? Because he protects us in the midst of that battle. Do we learn to trust him enough to say, God, I just trust you? It's not easy. It takes a lot of learning. And the really good news for you all is the trials just get harder because the more you learn to trust him, the more he's going to ask you to trust him. You know, when I look back and think of the trials, what I thought were really hard trials back when I was younger and going, God, can I have some of those back? <laughs> and he goes, nope, you're past those ones. We're now, we're now dealing with other problems. We need to learn to just trust God. 
because he has everything in control. He has a plan. He has everything set up to go. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, are there anybody that's listening on the internet or even on the radio that doesn't know you? We ask today they will recognize that they're a sinner and admit that they're a sinner to you and confess that they deserve punishment and ask you to come and be their Lord and Savior. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.